Okay, let's get it. Locked on LSU, your team every day. I'm Matt Moscona, ESPN Radio, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria, CST, and right here for the Locked on LSU podcast. Basketball Tigers get a win. Baseball Tigers get a series win and a perfect game out at Tiger Park. Let's start with the Basketball Tigers going on the road to Columbia, South Carolina, and getting a much-needed win over the Gamecocks. LSU beat South Carolina 86-80. to Now, we'll talk about the game in a second, but first, let's go big picture with it. Coming into this game, uh, LSU had, of course, lost four of five, um, and that slide felt like, wait, not felt, it it had bumped LSU down uh, at least four lines in everybody's bracketology. They were somewhere in the seven or eight range. And the real concern was, if they lost to Carolina, Florida, Arkansas, those road games, let's say they just won the two home games, and they finished 11-7 and in conference play, that would put LSU squarely on the bubble going into the SEC tournament and very likely needing at least one win in Nashville to solidify their spot in the tournament. And that's also with doing some scoreboard watching because you never really know when the bid stealers might pop up in March. So it would have made for a very uncomfortable situation for LSU here over the next two weeks. Now, I said would have. Would have because I think LSU's win Saturday against South Carolina is going to put them in the tournament, uh, regardless of what happens in Nashville. So when you look at the four games LSU has remaining, they're at Florida uh, this week. They're at Florida on Wednesday. And then they're home next Saturday against Texas A&M. They're at Arkansas the following week. And then they wrap up the regular season at home against Georgia. So you've already beaten Florida once. Uh, You're a game ahead of Florida in the SEC standings. So a lot on the line there, although right now, remember the top four seeds in the SEC get a double bye in the tournament. So you don't play until Thursday. So Kentucky, Auburn, LSU, Florida. That's how it stands right now with Florida one game behind Auburn and LSU. But, of course, Auburn beat LSU head-to-head, so they've got the tiebreaker. Uh, Kentucky's two games clear, both Auburn and LSU. They're going to coast to the conference championship. So really, if you're LSU, a loss to Florida isn't devastating because it still keeps you a full game ahead of Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M who are all trying to get into that top four. So for LSU at this point, realistically, and again, one of those teams is Texas A&M, who you play in in uh, the PMAC Saturday. If you're LSU, you look at that, a road trip to Arkansas, which is 5-9 and nine in the conference. You got the home game, as we mentioned, against A&M. And then you've got a home game against Georgia, which is 14-13 and 13 overall and just 4-10 and 10 in the SEC. So, at this point, it stands to reason LSU is going to be an overwhelming favorite in their two remaining home games against Texas A&M and against Georgia. If you win those two games, even if you were to lose to Florida and at Arkansas, you are going to be in the top four. You are going to have a double bye. You will have won 12 games in conference. It would put you at 21 wins overall and you will be in the NCAA tournament regardless of what happens in Nashville. That is why what happened Saturday, going to South Carolina and getting that win, was so critical for LSU. 
Um, I suppose you could work up a scenario where uh, one of those teams, Mississippi State, or really it would have to be LSU losing to Texas A&M, losing to Florida and losing to Texas A&M, and then A&M, I don't know how the tiebreaker exactly would work if it came down to LSU and Texas A&M because each would have won on their own floor, but basically if LSU wins the two home games remaining, it, it's, it feels like a statistical improbability for any of those teams to pass LSU for the double bye. So it was massive to go on the road and to get that win over South Carolina on Saturday. Now, let's look at the game in particular. The thing we knew about South Carolina, they're big, they're physical, the style of ball Frank Martin plays, but they also foul more than any team in college basketball. Literally, 353 Division I teams, no team fouls more than South Carolina. So it was clear what LSU's objective was. Drive the lane, get to the free throw line. That's what LSU does anyway. And they went to the free throw line 14 times in the first half. LSU was 12 of 14 for 85% from the free throw line in the first half. That really was the cincher. And then in the second half, credit Frank Martin. He recognized what LSU was doing. And South Carolina went more than five minutes in the second half without committing a foul which was very impressive considering how big of a problem that was in the first half. But LSU still got to the free throw line 17 times in the second half and went 13 of 17 in the second half. So for the game, LSU 25 of 31 from the free throw line. We knew that's what LSU wanted to do. Uh, From the field, they shot just 44% from three. This is incredible that LSU continues to shoot the ball well uh, from three on the road. But they're 39%. LSU averages 38% on the road at from three. They were 39% in this ball game. So they continue to shoot it at a, a better clip on the road from three than they do at home. And uh, Tigers 4 of 11 in the first half, 5 of 12 in the second half from three, 9 of 23 overall. For me, that's still way too many threes. But I thought overall LSU executed their game plan perfectly. And you had a game where Emmett Williams – Uh, came off the bench. Javante, Darius Days, Watford, Mays, and Hyatt got the start for LSU. But Emmett Williams came off the bench, team player, played 22 minutes, eight points, um, had a couple of blocks in the ballgame as well. Uh, So it was nice to see Emmett have a lot of energy hustle plays, even though he had to come off the bench in this ballgame. But this was a hard-fought win for LSU that they controlled really throughout uh, it wasn't until the last couple of minutes that South Carolina started raining threes, shocker, and made it closer than it really felt or needed to be. But LSU did exact; they executed their game plan and they controlled this game really from start to finish. So, congrats to Will Wade and the Tigers. Uh, Thirty points in the paint; it was exactly what they needed. Fifteen second chance points. So, Tigers um, led by as many as nineteen with five minutes to play in the ball game, and uh, then. Carolina went on their run late, you know, raining threes and utilizing timeouts. But really, the issue seemed like it was no longer in doubt. But LSU uh, gets the win at South Carolina, and now really if they hold serve at home, they'll be a top four protected seed in the um, – or top four seed with the double bye in the NC, in the uh, SEC tournament in Nashville. And that should – hold serve at home – should punch your ticket to the big dance. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. Baseball Tigers took two out of three out of the box this weekend. We'll recap it next. A disappointing start to the weekend for LSU baseball as they were shut out at home on Friday against Eastern Kentucky 2 to nothing, despite a 
uh, a strong outing from Cole Henry where he allowed a couple of runs, he did walk three batters, but was still good enough, should have been good enough to win the game, but LSU could muster no offense against Eastern Kentucky's lefty starter. But Tigers did bounce back. A masterful for masterful performance from Landon Marceau in game two. Marceau went eight innings, six strikeouts, no walks, 80 pitches. Keep in mind, you want to average in the 12 to 15 pitch per inning range to be efficient. Marceau got through eight innings on 80 pitches. I'm not great at math, but I know that's 10 in inning on average. He was spectacular, and that set up the rubber match. And, of course, by then, Eastern Kentucky largely was out of pitching. A.J. Labus, not as good as Marceau, but still seven innings of two-run baseball. I'll take that from my Sunday guy every single week. And LSU wins the uh, the finale 10-2. to Here was Palmineri after Sunday's series win. Pretty solid game in every aspect. Obviously, again, the story of the game was our starting pitcher. Two days in a row, we've, we've had outstanding performances. Not, not only successful, but efficient, which allowed them to pitch deep into the game and, and helps your bullpen a lot when your starting pitchers go that deep into the game. But it was also nice to get some clutch hits today and have a big crooked number put up there. I wish we would have done more in the last four at-bats. You know, so just have one of those days where you can just keep building on your confidence uh, offensively. But I think it's I think it'll be coming here. You know, we're you know we're still early in the season and guys are still getting their their swings down and their confidence going. But today I think was a big step in the right direction. So a lot of LSU fans kind of melted Friday. LSU lost their midweek game uh, to Nichols, only scored a couple of runs, and they get shut out at home in the Friday opener against Eastern Kentucky and. The LSU baseball melt was real on Friday, but the old adage about baseball is, you know, the best thing is that you can always make up today for, you know, yesterday's shortcomings. You just go out, you know, you, you never have to wait. You go play another game. And starting pitching, obviously, is the great equalizer in, in uh, college baseball or really in any level of baseball. So here's what I think. Here's what we knew coming into this season. We knew coming into this season that LSU had a ton of arms. We knew about Henry and Marceau and Labus and Hill and Fontenot and Beck and Vetmeyer, and then they add the lefties, and like and you're getting stores back. Like we knew that this pitching staff was as deep with talented arms as LSU's had under Maneri. Maybe you don't have Aaron Nola at the front, but when Cole Henry is on He's good enough to compete with anybody's ace in the SEC. So we knew LSU had arms. What we didn't know is if they could hit one through nine. You feel really good about guys like Cabrera and Garza and Beloso, and clearly Zach Mathis was one of the stories coming into this season, and he has absolutely delivered. He's batting three ninety three on the young season, slugging five thirty six. Only Cade Beloso is hitting at a better clip at 419, and Beloso had a big bases-clearing double uh, in Game 2, which which gave LSU the cushion it needed, uh, 6 to nothing going into the ninth inning. But the bottom line is, right now, through two weeks, I think what we, what we thought about this team is accurate. They got a lot of arms, and right now, we're not sure if they can hit. I, I'm really confident that at the end of the season, you know, we'll look up 
and Beloso and Mathis and Cabrera and Garza, they're all going to have really strong offensive seasons because all of them have shown us they can hit at this level. And if you allow them a 56-game sample plus whatever comes in the postseason, it's going to average out to that. So I don't worry about those four guys hitting. The question is, can you get production anywhere else in your lineup? And Maneri has certainly tried. He's tried Kay Doty. He's tried Gavin Duga. He's tried Maurice Hampton and Giovanni DiGiacomo. Collier Cranford got two starts at short this weekend. He's tried Mitchell Sanford and Wes Toops and Hayden Travinsky at DH, and they've had Hughes in there. Like He's tried pretty much everybody on his roster to find offense, and I'll grant you, you're only eight games into the season, but it's been a struggle like we thought it would be. So there's one of two things that happens here. Either the season goes along, and and somebody or some bodies emerge, and you know maybe maybe it's Drew Bianco figures it out and catches fire, or you insert a freshman like West Toops and he proves he can really rake once he kind of gets into the flow of playing major college baseball. I I don't know, maybe that happens, or maybe this just isn't going to be a good offensive team. Like that's a very real possibility that. You feel good about four guys every day in your lineup with Beloso, Mathis, Cabrera, and Garza, and maybe Alex Malazzo, who's really been the surprise so far this season. More on him in a second. Maybe he rakes a little bit, but maybe this is a team that just doesn't hit, and maybe what it's going to take is pitch exceptionally well, play, put your best defensive lineup in the field, and manufacture runs how and when you can, and try to win that way. That's not the preferred way to do it. You'd love to see these guys hit, but maybe they won't. Maybe they will. It's just way too early right now to to determine if that's going to happen. But the early returns offensively aren't great for this team. Even Sunday when they won 10-2, to that was on the back of a seven-run third inning, and they really didn't do much offensively outside of that inning. So – that's kind of big picture, you know, where I think LSU is right now. Specifically with this weekend, I thought it was a couple of interesting things. Number one, Malazzo. Talked about it last week, saying I think Alex Malazzo is earning a spot in the everyday lineup, and he did nothing to dissuade that. Defensively, he is clearly your best option at catcher. He can pick runners off. He can throw runners out. He controls the running game. There was a play in Sunday's game where Western Kentucky had – a runner on first, they try to sack bunt him to second, and Malazzo fielded the bunt and threw the lead runner out at second base. Like, that's some Little League stuff where the best player on the field is the catcher, and he just has a hose and throws the kid out at second base. Like, that doesn't happen at this level. Paul Maneri even said after the game, in all his years of coaching, he's never allowed a catcher the freedom to make that play. It's always been get the runner at first, but take the out. Uh, but Malazzo, he says he's given him the 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 discretion to just throw, make that play if he thinks he can make it, and and he made it on Sunday. So you have got an elite defensive catcher there in Alex Malazzo, who's also hitting the baseball. He's hitting two seventy eight right now behind only Beloso and Mathis. So if if Malazzo and Malazzo has also proven he can run the bases, he's just a really good instinctual instinctive baseball player. So. That's a kid I think that's got to be on the field every single day. 
The other really interesting switch was putting Collier Cranford at short. And I'll credit Ryan Terrio, former LSU shortstop, of course, who, who comes on my radio show every Friday. And this past Friday, I asked Terrio what would be his ideal lineup. And the thing that surprised everybody is he said, I would he'd have Cranford batting ninth and playing short. And the reason is because Cranford is your best defensive option at shortstop. Now, a lot of people didn't know that or didn't know his name. I certainly didn't until Terry had mentioned him as the best defensive shortstop LSU has. But, man, he started Saturday and Sunday and played flawless at shortstop. Uh, he made some dazzling picks there at short. And if the recipe that Paul Maneri is going to have is pitch it, put your best defensive lineup behind your pitcher, and find a way to manufacture offense and win low-scoring games, call your Cranford your shortstop. Now, if it be, what we know now is Zach Mathis and Kay Doty aren't ready to play short at this level. Uh, Doty got benched in game two because he committed two errors. He had an error in every game so far this year, and Maneri benched him. So you'd love him. You'd love to have his bat in the lineup, but it, where do you? How do you get? How do you make that happen if he's going to continue to commit errors? But uh, Cranford at short. If your options defensively are Cranford or Hughes, and neither guy is going to produce offensively for you, then put the better defender out there. And Cranford, this so far, has proven to be the better defensive shortstop. So put your better defensive shortstop in there. And what's really interesting is as it plays out, you may end up with Alex Malazzo at catcher, Collier Cranford at short, Cade Doty at second, and Maurice Hampton in center. The middle of your defense, catcher, short, second, center field, would all be true freshmen if that plays out. Gives you reason for concern this year, but certainly very optimistic about the future. So the Tigers take uh, two out of three this weekend uh, against Eastern Kentucky. Now LSU will uh, play in the midweek against Louisiana Tech on Wednesday. And then they head to Houston for the Shriners Hospitals for Children College Classic. That's at Minute Maid Park in Houston. They'll play Texas on Friday, Baylor on Saturday, and then Oklahoma on Sunday. So really big opportunity for LSU this week, hosting Tech and then going to Houston for a big three-game series. All right, it's Locked on LSU, your team every day. A perfecto at Tiger Park. We'll wrap up next. Wrapping up a Monday edition of the Locked on LSU podcast. What a weekend out at Tiger Park. A Beth Torina on Friday night got her 500th career win as a head coach. Uh, and got 500 more in her, if not more than that. Probably more than that. Hopefully more than that at LSU. But uh, LSU beat Sam Houston State 12 to nothing Friday. It was a no-hitter by the Tigers. And uh, it was Beth Torina's 500th win. But that wasn't the only highlight of the weekend. Um, on Saturday, Mary Beth Gorsuch threw a game that goes in the record books. Uh, she threw the first seven inning perfect game in LSU softball history. She faced the minimum 21 batters. She threw a first pitch strike to every batter. She struck out a career high 16, including eight straight from the second through the fourth innings. Uh, she was spectacular, and it was history for the um, uh, for the Tigers softball program. So, congrats to Beth Torina 
congrats to Maribeth Gorsuch on the first perfect games, first seven-inning perfect game in LSU history. What a weekend it was out at Tiger Park as the Tiger softball team just uh, continues to roll right now. They are 13-1 and on the season. Their only loss was a loss uh, at UL Lafayette uh, last Saturday, but they continue to roll and special times out there at Tiger Park with the Tiger softball team. All right, it's going to do it for us here on a Monday edition of the Locked On LSU podcast. Tomorrow's Mardi Gras, but you better believe we'll be here having a show. We'll see you then. Locked On LSU, your team every day.